At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Revelation 5:11, the Apostle John writes and says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We might just be starting our songs this morning, but there is one that has been going on for all of eternity, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. So with that, let us continue in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ.
great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken I am forgiven, the King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living Lord.
You guys can be seated. Thank you, Leo and team. You guys did wonderful. Thank you for leading us before the throne of grace. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Lorino. I serve here on staff as the director of groups and student ministry here. Just want to say a special welcome, especially of those of you who are first time, second time guests. If you would, fill out the Connect card in your bulletin, little tear-off tab. You can bring it right back to the Connect desk. We've got lovely people there that would love to meet you, pray with you, tell you more about our church and more, and more about you as well. It's a good opportunity to get connected. As well as getting connected, uh, right after this service at 11 o'clock, right in our back room, there's a something called Next Steps, which is our Next Step pathway to becoming a member here. So if you are a first-time guest or second-time guest or you're considering membership and haven't yet made that step, these two classes are something you would go through. So again, would really encourage you guys to, to check this out. You can see myself right after service, and I can tell you exactly where it is and, and what, uh, what is involved with that. So I'd encourage you guys to do that. The next thing is Band of Brothers. Uh, Band of Brothers is our monthly men's ministry that meets here at the campus from 7 to 9 every first Monday of the month but this time we're doing it the second Monday. So tomorrow night, men, uh, 7 p.m. here at our campus. Uh, Dave Varga's been going through a practical theology, which has been really encouraging, so would encourage any of you men to come out for that. Uh, if you saw in your bulletin, there's a little insert that has a little prayer booklet uh, thing in it. We have a bunch of prayer books. This is by a guy named Pastor John O. Uh, he's from Nine Marks um, Publishing, and so it's a really, really great resource. This whole week is kicking off our week of prayer and fasting, not just as a campus of Chesterfield, but as a corporate 15-campus church of Woodside. This is our week where we bring intentionally bring our requests before the Lord uh, in prayer and in fasting, praying for something and fasting from something. So this is that week. And so if you'd like to know more, check out that little um, insert in your bulletin. You can scan the QR code, and there's more information about it there. Again, would really encourage you guys. There's a, we got about 200 books. They're free books. It's a really great resource all about corporate prayer. So head back to the Connect Desk after service and grab one of those books. There's also going to be little prayer cards there. If you have any prayer requests whatsoever, anything at all, you can leave it anonymous if you don't want to share your name or any um, you know, details that might, you might know who you are, you can fill out one of those prayer cards and leave it back at the, at the Connect Desk. We'll be praying for those throughout the week. would also really encourage you guys, this Thursday night from 7 to 8 o'clock here at the campus, we're doing a night of prayer, a night of corporate prayer. There's a lot of, you know, the danger of doing things right off at the new year, especially as a church, is we can do things for a little bit and then fall off. Like, we're prone as humans to do that. But with this, we wanted to teach on prayer and teach on fasting and have a time of corporate prayer together so that we're not falling away. We want to teach on prayer so that you know what it is, what it's not, what the purpose of it is. And same with fasting. I think we know what prayer is, but fasting is one of those things that we don't often know exactly what it is or how to do it. And so this Thursday from 7 to 8 here at the campus, we'll be teaching on those things and then having a time of corporate prayer. And all those prayer requests that we get, we'll be praying for those as a church body. So again, would really encourage you to come check that out Thursday night here at the campus. If you can't make Thursday, the Troy campus is doing a night of prayer and praise. We'd encourage you to come here Thursday. If you can't, though, Friday night at the Troy campus is a night of prayer and praise. I think that's all I have for announcements. Pastor Vince has uh, one announcement regarding next Sunday, so I will turn it over to him and he will share what he has. Thank you so much, Lorino. 
It is wonderful to be able to see you, those of you that are here as well as those of you that are online. Thank you for your flexibility last week. We wanted to be sensitive to what was going on within our congregation and the community, and so we didn't meet together in person, but I can't tell you how much I missed that. Great to see so many of you here. Continue praying for our fellowship as we go through various kinds of sicknesses and illnesses and other situations. Uh, that's part of what this prayer week is all about. This morning, I am so thankful for Pastor Paul Dalton from our Troy campus, our adult ministries director there. He filled in at the last minute. Uh, to come and preach today to begin our new series in the book of James. We're excited and anticipating God's blessing in that. However, before Paul comes, I want to share with you an answer to prayer. And that answer to prayer is next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, we as the Chesterfield campus will have the opportunity to welcome Winston and Amanda Dickerson, who are our candidates for our campus pastor. And uh, our team will be meeting with them on Saturday. Leadership team, staff will be uh, having time spent with them, hearing their heart, how God has been leading. They've been through the process already, our Woodside evaluation process. I had my first opportunity to speak with Winston this past week for about an hour and a half. And I can honestly share with you, my heart is encouraged. And next week, we would love to see a tremendous gathering in person here for both services as we introduce them and as uh, Winston will have an opportunity to preach. Because we need your feedback. We need your input. And uh, this is all part of us as a church body looking at God's direction regarding our next leader. So be praying about that this week. All right, and then we want to give a great welcome to them. We're anticipating God's blessing in our gathering next week. Paul, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. Um, as Paul comes, let me pray uh, for us today. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much that you are continuing to work and direct even behind the scenes when we're not aware of it. And Father, we thank you for just being with our congregation Lord, for those that are still struggling with physical illness of one kind or another, please, we pray that you would restore them to full health. Father, as we begin this new year and as we begin this new series, it's a very practical series. But Father, we ask that you would help us in our learning, in the Spirit's leading, and Father, that we would do the things we know as a church family we should do. I do thank you for the faithful giving and tithing, Father, of this congregation. And Lord, I pray that as we start out this new year, that we would do so in a healthy way financially and spiritually, Father, so that we do not limit what you are desiring to accomplish through us as we move forward. Thank you for Paul, Father, just anointing with your spirit this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, one of the reasons I love sitting on the front row is I get to hear the church choir. And that's you. 
Uh, you sounded fabulous this morning. So, not that you didn't the other days, right? Some of you were like, well, what do you think of us the last time he was here? But no, you sounded, it sounded beautiful. And it was, uh, it's, it's a joy to, to be here again. And uh, my son Lucas came with me this time. He didn't drive, so the speed limit wasn't an issue. And uh, it is just a joy to be able to, to be with you. And um, it's exciting to be back together, isn't it? Uh, I, was, I was saddened when I heard the news that you guys weren't meeting next week. I mean, I think that was a wise decision. I'm not questioning that at all. But hopefully it put a hunger for the church into your soul, maybe that you hadn't experienced recently. And it's great to, great to be here with you today. Well, if you would, I, I'd love for you to go ahead and stand as I'm going to read the passage that we'll be learning from. And there's actually a section in here that uh, will be addressed next week. It's sections, uh, verses 5 through 11, but it just makes sense to me to go ahead and read uh, the entire passage. Uh, so James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1 through verse 18. Let's listen to the word of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes." So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, to you be the glory. Thank you for the opportunity to come and, and learn about how we should handle suffering. Father, I pray that in the midst of learning about suffering, we will also learn about the way that our faith is matured, and is demonstrated by the way we respond to suffering. And so, Lord, my prayers for this, this church 
And I pray that you will continue to use them in, in great and wonderful ways to encourage one another and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Well, as we begin to look into this, uh, I, I, maybe you've heard the name. I, I'm guessing you have, but if not, Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher a long time ago. Before they had audiovisual equipment and before they had massive arenas where evangelists would go, there was Charles Spurgeon in London and throughout England proclaiming the Word of God in a powerful way that the modern Western world had not seen at the time. But as you begin to think of Charles Spurgeon, one of the things that also is so true of him is not necessarily the massive ministry and the hundreds of thousands that he preached to, but it was that he was a man, a godly man, who understood the importance of pursuing wisdom. Now think about that. Here was a man who preached to thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands you know, before there was the megachurch, there was his church in England. And yet he understood that the pursuit of a stronger faith involved the pursuit of godly wisdom. He had this to say, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fool for it. There is no fool so great as a fool as not knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Now think about that. And you can also go back in the Bible and you can look to Solomon, for instance. And you might remember when Solomon was getting ready to be king, he had a prayer. And God basically said, I will give you whatever you want. And Solomon, this was young, wise Solomon, who had seen the way his dad had ruled. What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. And so we come to a place like the book of James, and it is known by scholars and the church as being wisdom literature. Now, as you read through James, many will look at James and they will compare it. You know, they compare it to books of the Old Testament, and James is often compared to Proverbs in the Old Testament. And what is Proverbs? It's full of these short, pithy statings, right? And it's full of wisdom, and it's full of these things that we as parents love to teach our kids, right? And that's Proverbs. And then we come to James in the New Testament, and here's James who is doing these wonderful things, and he's teaching us one of the primary things is how to deal with suffering. Now, we as Christians, of course, we want to look to the Word of God, right? It is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice, and so we look to James for wisdom and how to live during difficult times. Because that's the context in which James was writing. When you begin to look at the progression of the, the New Testament church, what do you see? You see the Gospels, which are beautiful, and there's Jesus pouring into his disciples, right? The three in his inner circle, the 12 disciples, and then the growing church of more than 500 that were believing in him and following him. And then you have the book of Acts, and there in the book of Acts, what do you see? You see the church essentially commissioned to become the New Testament church. And the book of Acts is filled with amazing things and wonders in which God is using miraculous ways to do what? To proclaim the gospel and establish the New Testament church. 
And you can imagine being there in Jerusalem as the church is being established. I mean, just in Acts chapter 2, imagine how encouraged you would have been as a Christian. Wow, thousands have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were on cloud nine, and they were excited because the gospel was going forth, and they felt victorious in what they were doing. But then, then, the enemy take note, takes note. He said, ah, oh, I, I see what God's doing here. Well, let's just, let's just put a little bit of pressure on them. Let's just begin to maybe use the government to realize that these are strange people. Let's use the Jews who don't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, and let's, let's use them to exert some pressure on these people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And after all, they're a minority group. And so let's do things like make it hard for them to find jobs. Let's do things like make it hard for them to have a living. Let's do things like make it hard for, for their kids to get some help when they need it or to be educated. Let's, let's make them outcast in the society and let's make them have a difficult life because once you begin to have a difficult life, we know what will happen. And there's the enemy thinking that once the difficult life comes about, what will happen? They will be shown to not truly be believers. So this begins to happen in the decades following the establishment of the New Testament church to the point where the church actually becomes scattered. And you even see Paul writing in some of his epistles talking about the persecution that is going on at the church at Jerusalem. In fact, collections were being taken up because life was very difficult for them as outcasts who believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's James. James, an elder at the church of Jerusalem. James, the brother of Jesus. And what does he do? He's burdened by the Holy Spirit. And under the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this beautiful book of James to teach us how we should handle our faith when we are dispersed, when we are scattered, and what we should do, and how our faith should actually look. How should our faith look when we are experiencing suffering? How should our faith look in our marriage? How should our faith look when we're experiencing difficulties in the workplace or difficulties in school or difficulties even in church, right? How are we supposed to look? And that's what James does, perhaps one of the most practical books in all of the New Testament. And we look to it so that we can have wisdom. You know, another way to, to look at this series is to, to consider those who you know who are Christians, who have maintained their faith. And really, it's not them maintaining it, right? Because we all understand that if our salvation were up to ourselves, we would have lost it a long time ago. But it's God, the Father, who, who keeps us in his hand so that no one can pluck us out of it. But we have those people that we can look at and we can say, wow, you have experienced so much life. Let me just kind of glean from some of your wisdom. I remember in my previous church, one of those people was Doris Reese. And Doris Reese was this 90-year-old woman. She was, she's now 92 years old, and she was just fabulous. She drove by herself. She was going down to Florida by herself just a few years ago. But she had lived what I think many of us would consider a difficult life. She lost a child at a very early age. She lost her husband 
She's a widow. She herself has experienced cancer and, and very difficult things in her life. And yet when you talk to Doris and people like Doris, she will tell you that her faith is the one thing she always had because God never left her. Well, over the next six weeks, you're going to go on an amazing journey looking at the book of James and understanding how it is that when James says things like, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What does that mean? We'll look at that today a little bit. We're going to see how, how could James, who's being persecuted at the church of Jerusalem, say things like, count it all joy when you face trials of many kind. Really? Really? You look at things, uh, faith without works is dead. What does that mean? And you'll see where James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. You see, as we look at the text this morning, the big idea is that mature faith survives seasons of suffering. Mature faith survives seasons of suffering. It's a very timely text, right? And everything that's been going on the last two years, and you begin to talk to people who have been, of course, impacted by COVID, churches that have been divided by COVID, churches that are weary because of things like having to go online like you did last week. You talk to our medical workers, the nurses, the therapists, who are in the trenches and the hospitals and every day is just filled with putting on protective equipment and trying to maintain everything that they can do to be safe. When you think of our Christian medical workers who are there in the field, you think there's suffering going on? Absolutely there is. And yet we look all around us and the, the, gri- the, the grips of sin is still prevalent in everything that we do, even apart from the virus. And so James will teach us a lot about this. But mature faith survives seasons of suffering. Think about that for a moment. You look at James, and, and what does he do? He begins by identifying himself, not as an elder, not as the brother of Jesus, but he simply says, a servant. Right off the bat, James is helping us understand what type of mentality is needed to have a mature faith that will lead us to handling suffering in a great and godly way? He identifies right away as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that God is in control and it's the Lord Jesus Christ who he, he follows. And you see his heart pouring out as he writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This is what was happening, right? Life was difficult in Jerusalem. And people scattered. This is nothing new, right? We, we see towns, when you look at economics, and you see towns that, that were thriving one time, and now they are just almost nothing. Because the economy changed, jobs changed, people wanted to get out. Now, Jerusalem was, of course, still thriving, but for Christians, it had become a very difficult place to live. Now, as we keep in mind that mature faith survive seasons of suffering, let's also begin to look at our first point. Because three things are going to be necessary for us to understand this fully today. The first is that surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's goal. When James was writing in verse 2, and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. I would think right away the readers were thinking, did James write the right words? 
How many times do we sit there and we think, you know what, dear God, thank you so much that I was coughing to the point where I thought I had to go to the hospital. Dear God, thank you so much that I'm looking at my bank account and I'm, I'm realizing I don't have enough money to pay the bills. Dear God, thank you so much that my marriage is hurting and my kids are a disaster. God, thank you so much that my car broke down and I was stranded. Right? We don't consider these things to be things that would produce joy. Dear God, thank you so much for the famine that's happening. Thank you so much for the lack of clean water in, in other parts of the world. Thank you so much for, for dictators and rulers who are manipulating people and killing them at their will. Thank you so much for those trials. We don't think like that, do we? Nor should we. But yet James is sitting here telling us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, we need to read on. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm reading this a little bit more but I'm still stuck on how I'm supposed to count it all joy. Because when life gets hard, what do I want to do? I want other people to pity me. I sometimes blame God for, for the car that has been broken down. And people all across the world have struggled with the Christian faith because they ask that timeless question, why do good things happen to bad people, right? And why do bad things happen to good people? And they ask those two timeless questions, and what it demonstrates is really an immature type of faith, if there even is a faith, right? Now, I, I must concede, it is so much easier to talk about this than it is to experience these things. It is so much easier to talk about these things than it is to experience these things. But yet, the task before us is to, to look at what James had been going through and to see how the Holy Spirit had inspired him to write these things and to learn from them. James is clearly saying that trials come in our lives in order to produce steadfastness. And so how does this work? Once again, I remember at my previous church, uh, one, of our, one of our leaders, he tells me he was on the golf course one day, and what had happened was he got a call from his daughter who had just found out recently that she was pregnant. And as they were doing some of the normal tests that they do, they found major deformities within the baby that was still in the womb. And the daughter, of course, was distraught. Dad, what do I do? And the first things out of his mouth were, you're going to keep the baby. Now, that's a real-life experience. That's a real-life trial. And how do you take something like that and count it joy? Well, you understand and you begin to understand that there is some way in which God is going to use this for His glory. 
And within our own souls, what it's going to do is it's going to produce some sort of steadfastness. And then in verse 4, he says, And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so here's what James is telling the Jews who have been kicked out of their homes, the Jews who have been persecuted to the point where they need to leave the place where they grew up and find a new way to live. What he's telling them is, look, this trial counted joy because God is going to use this to mold your soul, to shape your heart, to contour your mind to the things of God like they've never been done before. And so that's why he says, and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In, in theology, we call this sanctification. But this isn't what we see as the easy sanctification, right? This isn't attending prayer meetings on Thursday and Friday night. This isn't simply debating whether or not I can really go without a meal, perhaps for 24 hours because the church is encouraging me to fast. Right? This isn't, this isn't the trial that comes about because I'm not sure if I should give money or not to the church. This isn't the trial that comes about because I should just try to figure out, well, if I can't do food, um, or maybe really I don't want to do food, I'll just fast from technology for like a day. No. What James is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that these things happen and they can produce joy because that joy is rooted in the end and which God has taken your soul and he shapes it. And whatever the trial is, you reach this tipping point. And I don't know where it is for people. I think it's different in every way. And it's different in every trial. But what you do is you reach this tipping point where you go from, my soul is downcast, to God, I have seen how you have worked, or God, I trust that you will work. And the circumstance tips from a trial to a joy because of the fact that your soul has been shaped by God. And so we don't always know what God's goal is in our suffering. We don't always know how God is going to use that miscarriage or the death of a spouse because you're, you're now a widow or that sickness or that financial difficulty. We don't know exactly how God is going to work it out. But you have a front row seat to seeing the creator of the universe who loves you more than anyone else. Begin to shape your soul and conform you into his likeness so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Some modern day trials, you don't have to look very far. Go to places like Voices of the Martyr, and you will see sometimes how trivial our sufferings are here in America. One such example comes out of China in December of 2008. The Chinese government decided they were going to crack down on house churches. And Pastor Wang Yi and more than 100 Christians were arrested and charged with inciting subversion of state power, a crime that would result in up to five years of imprisonment. This is what he had to say in a passionate letter. As a pastor, my disobedience is part of the gospel mission. Now keep in mind the context of his disobedience. 
The Chinese government was cracking down and saying, you can no longer gather and you can no longer preach the gospel because it is undermining the government. The great mission of Christ requires our great resistance to the world. The purpose of resisting is not to change this world, but to witness to another world. I am no longer afraid of all the social and political powers. What was the trial? Church being closed down, himself being arrested and imprisoned, other Christians being arrested and imprisoned. What had the Holy Spirit brought him to? A point of joy in recognizing the end of the trial was the proclamation of the gospel. And if we can just begin to grasp that for a moment, that the trial can actually lead to a stronger proclamation of the gospel, you have matured in a great and amazing way. And that even in itself is hard. God, you want to have this trial in my life in order that someone else might be saved? And this is where the maturation of our faith has to happen. And this is where the church is here to help you. How does a miscarriage lead to a greater proclamation of the gospel? How can a failed marriage lead to a greater proclamation of the gospel? How can the death of a spouse or a child lead to a greater proclamation of the gospel? How can a lost job lead to a greater proclamation of the gospel? These are the questions we have to consider. And this is what we have to grow into, is understanding that the proclamation of the gospel is the greatest of all things. But it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. But we have to understand this. Surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's goal. And he himself understood that giving up his one and only son would lead to the salvation of many. Second, surviving suffering requires a right understanding of our sinfulness. Now, as we go through this, we have to be very, very careful here because we don't want to be like Job's friends, right? Those of you who don't know the story of Job, it's perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. And here's Job, a, a holy man who has an extreme amount of wealth. And he has a fabulous family. He has a wife who, who loves him and kids who adore him. And he has people working for him that, that care for him. And he has amassed a great amount of wealth. And then one day, the devil and God have a conversation. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just wondering about the earth, trying to figure out what to do and who to hurt. And then God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Thanks, God. <laughs> and as you go throughout the book, you see this counsel coming from his friends, believing that Job had sinned. And it wasn't the case. The trials that Job faced did not come because of his sin. They came because the devil was trying to get a godly man to curse his God. And so we have to understand that sometimes suffering is a result of our sin, and other times suffering is a result of a sinful world. 
And so we look at our circumstances and we can't look necessarily at the tragedies and say, you know what? Well, I must be sinning. You need people in your lives to help you evaluate that. And you need constant confession and reading of the word of God to help you understand what is the case. But here's what's happening. We will never be able to honor God in our seasons of suffering if we have a wrong understanding of sinfulness. And so this is what James is getting at in verses 13 through 15. What does he say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. So right away, James is letting us know, look, these trials that come in our way, they are not temptations from God. You say, well, what about Job? Didn't God allow Job to be tested? Yes, but the trials came and the temptations came from Satan and Job's friends. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There's a great bit of theology here in these passages. We're understanding the character of God, and we're understanding the nature of God and the person of God. And so when you're going through your trial and you're trying to figure out how I'm supposed to count this all joy and how this is supposed to lead to greater steadfastness, the one truth you can hold on to is that God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So when your trial comes and you're being tempted to curse God, God is not tempting you to curse him. And so we begin to see what happens. This spiritual battle talked about in Ephesians chapter 6 is taking place in your soul right now, in, in, in your personhood, in your realm. And there's the devil, and there's God, and God is holding fast to you, not letting anyone pluck you out of his hand. And there's the devil still tempting you and trying to get you to curse God. But your perseverance that is given to you by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit allows you to push forward. This is what the devil is doing, right? It's a classic illustration of fishing, right? I've been watching this show lately on, on Disney Plus called Life Below Zero about these crazy people who live close to the Arctic. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's going to be cold this week at 14. And these people are outside when it's like 40 below, and one of the things they have to do in order to survive is fish. And so they just cut a hole in the ice. Any ice fishers out here? Why do you do it? <laughs> just keep it for summer. <laughs> hole in the ice, lure goes down, and they're sitting there just jiggling it for about who knows how long. And catching the first fish, they say, is always the most difficult because then they use that for bait for the others. But anyways, why, why, why? But there's the shiny lure, right? And the fish thinks it's real food and snags it. And then you yank on the line and you've caught a fish. If only it were that simple. But think about this for a moment. The temptation is there from the devil. And we look at this and we see that far too many of us, what do we do? We give in to taking the bait. But if we are wise and wisdom comes from books like the Bible, right? Wisdom comes from the Bible. The whole Bible is wisdom literature. And here's James. And we need to understand the nature of sin so that we can have a proper understanding of suffering and begin to understand that when we are suffering, there will be the devil trying to lure us away. 
But if we stay steadfast, our steadfastness will only increase by the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's character. We've already begun to see some of God's character in James when he says, look, for God cannot be tempted with evil. But look at verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What James is doing here is he's letting those who are experiencing the trials that we're supposed to count all joy. He's letting them know that God is the person who is always there. He is your rock. He is your Polaris. He is the one who will not change even in the midst of your difficult changing circumstances. And so he says there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now think about that. What James is doing here is he's assuring the believers of his own will. Whose own will? Our own will? Certainly not. By God's own will. He, God, the creator of the universe, brought us forth from the word of truth. And so God was using the gospel to bring salvation to us, to save our souls so that we are not just lonely on an island wondering how is life going to turn out, but instead we understand when the trials come, we can reach a point of maturation in our faith when we count it all joy. And even when we're going through a future trial, we understand this trial is going to come. I'm going to count it all joy. Why? Because it's going to produce steadfastness in me. I'm going to be a stronger Christian as a result. And guess what? The gospel could be proclaimed, and even if it means me losing something or someone for someone to be saved, it is worth it, dear God. And that is a maturation that can only come from the will of God brought forth by the word of truth. Why? So that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Think about this for a moment. You have a neighbor who is not a Christian. And because you're engaged in neighborly things, you share with your neighbor one day about a tragedy that you're going through. And your neighbor begins to contemplate these things. Well, they're Christians. Why is there God allowing them to go through these things? I'm not so sure if that's the type of faith that I want to have. If they claim to be Christians, and I know just enough about Christianity to know that, wait a minute, good things are supposed to happen to Christians, but bad things are happening to Christians, I don't therefore want to be a Christian. The conversation continues. And now the language of your conversation is turned. You know, this is really hard, but I've begun to see God's goodness in it. I've begun to see how, even through this difficulty, like, God has been good to me. And then the neighbor, peeking out the window, begins to see random cars showing up. Grocery bags being left at the doorstep. 
people going into the house and, and leaving 30 minutes later, maybe longer. And you begin to say, oh, you know what? God has been good. I'm part of a church and they've been praying for us. They've been providing meals for us. And I've seen God's goodness even in the midst of this trial. And your neighbor begins to think, well, what if this were to happen to me? I wouldn't have somebody bringing groceries. I wouldn't have people praying for me, except for maybe my neighbor. Maybe I need that. Maybe I need to dig in more to, to what they have. Maybe I need to give greater consideration to, to the gospel they've shared. And in that moment, perhaps God is drawing that person to salvation. And the angels are preparing for a course of celebration because a lost soul is about to be saved because of your trial. Would that be worth it? James says it should be. James says it should be. And today, even now, there could be those who, who are Christians and, and they've matured to the point. Maybe you know them better than I do for sure. And they've gone through the trials and they've counted it all joy. Learn from them. And then there are perhaps those of us who are, have been Christians for not so long and we look at this, man, this is challenging. I don't know about this. Talk to other Christians and learn how your soul can be prepared for when the tragedy comes and the suffering comes. And then perhaps there's some of you who aren't Christians. And you're sitting there saying, this is lunacy. At least I thought it was. But now I'm beginning to understand it a little bit more. Let today be the day where you turn to Jesus and you begin to understand how God can help you through the suffering. So, mature faith survives seasons of suffering. Surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's word, a right understanding of sinfulness, and a right understanding of God's character. Let's pray. Father, to you be the glory. Thank you so much. Even saying that, praying that seems odd at times. Thank you so much for preparing us for trials. And Father, I pray for this campus and our church as a whole, that we would be people who endure suffering well because we understand that it will produce steadfastness and that steadfastness can serve as a light of the gospel to those who need Jesus. May it all be for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.